Okay, so we are finishing up chapter seven. These are the last notes. It's been two weeks since we get, got together. But, uh, thank you for filling in uh, last week. Appreciate that. Um, so chapter seven is a little unusual. It, well, it is it is unique in in John, in that um, there's a lot of uh, the illustration that I I keep coming back to is you see those. Um, game shows like America's Got Talent or you know something like that or uh, that's not a game show I know, but, but 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 shows that are heavy on audience interaction you know with what's going on on the stage right and and the cameras there's cameras of course focused on who's on the stage but there's also cameras focused on the audience right and it it'll switch back and forth between what's happening on the stage and what's going on in the audience and chapter seven is very much like that it it has um it's switching back and forth. And what John is doing here is, and, and as I've been studying this too, I've been reading through um, uh, One Perfect Life, which is the integration of all the Gospels together in the narrative form. Highly recommend that for your bookshelf. Um, and but one of the things I'm realizing is, you know, and we're studying Mark, right, and, and Sunday evenings too, and, and uh, all of the Gospels really show this progression from Jesus' humble beginnings, uh, you know, sort of his rise in popularity. Uh, they all mentioned John the Baptist, you know, pointing to him, that type of thing. But they all show this general arc of, of Jesus comes on the scene. He rises in popularity. A lot of people scratching their heads, you know, what's going on? You know, man, you know, we had John the Baptist. Of course, John did a lot to amp up. The excitement, you know, maybe, maybe this, you know, we're going to the oppression of Rome. Maybe the Messiah is really coming, you know, and all of that. And there's this excitement, and Jesus comes, and he's excited. And and I think it's the uh, uh, feeding of the five thousand that is where that all of this converges, and it's right. at that point that that begins to decline dramatically. Uh, there's a, there is a tone under in all the Gospels, of course, where where Jesus is opposed by the leaders, right? And he has a lot of very sharp things to say to them in all the Gospels. We're coming up on the one in John that is the most pointed, uh, chapter 8. It really gets heated in chapter 8, okay? Um, but so they all have this, but they all have this idea that, that he begins, his popularity begins to decline, and eventually the nation as a nation uh, uh, crucifies him, right? And of course, it would make sense that any account, any accurate account of his Ministry would have that right because that's what that's what happened and that was the essence of it because it helps to explain How the nation could crucify their own Messiah Right and and that has to be explained because you know That's going to be the number one issue on any Jew on a Jew's mind or any any Gentile for that matter How could you miss that? right? Okay, so John here is is um, at this point, you know, chapter 7, 7, 8, 9, and 10 all happen against the backdrop of the Feast of Tabernacles. We talked at length about that, right? The chapter, last half of chapter 10 also happens against, uh, about a month, two months later, against the backdrop of the Feast of Dedication, which we know is Hanukkah, uh, which has a tie into that. But anyway, the point is that this is a section here in John that's that's significant in that it's John is 
has sort of fast forwarded through the first two and a half years of Jesus' ministry. And now he's hit the play button, right? And we're slowing down so that you're, you're only in chapter seven. There's 21 chapters, right? You're only a third of the way through. But all the rest of this book is like, it's now your play speed. Before you're you know, moving really fast, hitting a few highlights here or there. But now he's really slowing down. And I think what John is doing is, is he's using chapter seven to help set the mood, to help us understand where things are at in the climate around Jesus, where, where the responses are. Jesus does have some things to say in this chapter, of course, um, but there's a lot of audience re reaction, a lot of the camera switching back to the audience to show their responses, right? And so that's what's on your notes there. That's that table up there that we looked at. And we also now on our outline, we've looked at the reactions from the crowd. That's verses, this is John, if you haven't already, open your Bible to chapter 7 and uh, verses uh, 40 through 44. Okay, I hope you had your coffee this morning because I know I'm moving kind of fast uh, because I, I want to try to get us through this. Um, we do have the next set of notes ready. If we don't get to it, that's okay, but I would like to move on. Uh, I don't want to belabor this too much. Okay, so we've, we've seen verses 40 through 44. Um, remember, so so on your on your notes there, if you want to slide that that uh, that up there on the screen, brother. Appreciate it. Okay, so um, this on the top of page two, you have A, B, C, right? That's under point one. Uh, and we see some pros, you know, several people wondering if he's the prophet and or the Christ, right? John is, again, um, summarizing a lot of discussion. There's a lot of interest in Jesus at this point. And we're going we're gonna to see this again show up. So what I'm saying is don't forget this, okay? Because this is very important in understanding everything from this point on in John including what he's going to say to his disciples in Upper Discourse, where he's going to talk to them about how, how just as he's been rejected, they are also going to be persecuted as well, and they'll have trouble in this world. Okay, and um, we're going to, John is also is important, I should say, John. John's uh, explanation of this sort of division among people's reactions to Jesus is helpful in under, helping us understand how at the start of Passion Week, effectively, maybe it's a little bit longer than a week, but, but around that time when we call Passion Week, how you can have the triumphal entry and have all these people celebrating him and saying Hosanna, which is a, which is a, a one-word prayer for salvation, right? Uh, and, and very much like the Feast of Tabernacles, although it's in the spring. Um, waving the palm branches and all that, right? We got all that excitement. And then at the end of that week, crucify him. Well, not have this man reign over. How can you do that, right? John helps us gain more insight into how that happens than any other gospel, okay? John gives us a, a, a serious clue in chapter 11 in understanding that. But what he's doing here is he's setting up, helping us understand, okay? So uh, verses 40, 41a, um, you know, the crowd says, hey, maybe he's the prophet, right? Let me pause here, give you a chance to catch up a little bit. Um, who's the prophet? 
What is the profit? So if you read verses 40 and 41, 41 says, or 40, at the end of 40, uh, some people say, this really is the prophet. And in my Bible, that's capitalized. It doesn't say a prophet. Okay. It doesn't say a prophet, right? This is different than, to say, the woman at the well. When she starts to realize, hey, this guy's just not a normal run-of-the-mill Joe Schmo, whatever, right? She says, I perceive you are a prophet, right? What do they mean here? Aaron, do you have something? No. Maybe Teresa. Oh, oh, Teresa, okay. because they were looking for the prophet that Deuteronomy 18 15 to 20 said that the people were looking and waiting for the prophet from God right and I don't know why I wrote this note then Jesus came and John realized him when John the baptizer said behold the Lamb of God in Mark 1 apparently John recognized him as the other I mean uh Yes, John. John uh, pointed to him as the Lamb of God. That's in in John. John. John the Gospel. John. Too many John. Um, have to constantly qualify that, right? Um, but yes, you're right, Erica. So, so that that's right there in your notes. That's why I put that there. It's a Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 20 reference for you. So did you go look that up? Because that is a key, listen now, that is a key prophecy. That is a key designation. Um, one of the most effective ways you can understand the Bible is by understanding the Jewish mindset. Okay? Especially because so much of this was written to Jews. I mentioned earlier we were reading the book of James. Uh, I've read James many times before. But this time around, knowing what I know now more strongly about uh, like the feasts and how, how the Jews thought and how they communicated in their literary styles and that type of thing, James is now opening up in ways it never has before, okay? And the same thing is true here. That's why I take time to pause on this and highlight it for you because when it says he is the prophet, it's easy for us in our, you know, English, Western, 2,000-year removed mindset to look at that kind of read over and say, oh, yeah, they think he's a prophet. It didn't say that. It's the prophet, the capital. And, and when, they, when the translators put a capital P in there, they're giving you a clue. This is something very unique and special. It's isn't just a little p prophet, right? Same thing with G, God, little g, God. Yes, right, right. Or capital L, Lord, in yeah. the Old Testament. Capital, well, all capitals, Lord versus lowercase Lord means different things, okay? Yes, right. Very important to pay attention to those details. They're there for a reason, okay? And so um, the prophet and the Christ, just a, just a quick review. We know what the Christ is. Christ is um, Greek comes, it's a um, transliterated word, meaning it's copied over to English almost exactly. It's, what, it's the Greek word Christos, right? Which, by the way, starts with the letter, uh, we would call it letter X. It's the chi, okay? And so I used to get offended when somebody would say Xmas, but really it's the first letter the Greek letter of Christ, right? Hi. 
Christmas. Okay, Christa, the Christ, Christos is is um, is the Greek equivalent for Messiah in Hebrew. Okay, means same thing. But the prophet we're not as familiar with. All right, and so there was a little bit of confusion, and we looked at that last time too, when they confronted. We're not not confronted, but they they inquired with John. Remember that delegation that came to John the Baptist and, and wanted to know who who are you, right? And the first thing out of their mouth was, "Are you the Christos? Are you the he, the, the the Messiah, the Anointed of God?" No, no, absolutely not, right? Remember that this was all in John one, and uh, and then and okay, are you the prophet? Interesting. Which gives us a clue, meaning that they there was some debate as to whether the Messiah and the prophet were the same person. Okay, because Moses did predict that a special prophet would arise. You read that that Deuteronomy text, and it will talk about all the tests for prophets in general, right? If a prophet speaks something which doesn't come to pass, he's he's spoken out of turn, right? And he's, he blamed the Lord for it and it didn't happen. Well, you know that that word didn't come from the Lord, right? It does talk generally about prophets in general, but it starts by saying there's coming, Moses saying, there's coming one after me who you will listen to. And anyone who doesn't listen to him will be accursed, right? And so the Jews picked up on that and that became a big thing to them. This guy, the prophet, who were looking for the prophet, you think he might be the Christ? You know, so I think it's what John is doing here, you know? Is he's he's helping us see that a lot of people were saying, well, he must be the prophet, and then some others were saying, no, he's the Christ. In truth, he's both, right? In truth, both that prophet that's predicted by Moses and the Christ are the same person, but they weren't exactly clear about that. But the point is, on your notes here, and I don't want to get belabored on that anymore, is that that's a pro statement. Then you get the con, and that's in verses 41. B through 42, uh, others are saying here, uh, but some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said, said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was, right? And so there's some skepticism there, okay? It's not, I don't want to say, again, these are really broad statements, just general characterizations. I don't want to say that everybody who was in that category was necessarily denying Jesus. They may not have been. They may have just said, you know, I mean, you know how it is. Everybody has varying amounts of information that they have that they're responding to. Some people knew their Old Testament, and we knew that, right? And we, that's why I put Micah 5 2 on there. That's, that's, they knew that, right? That he was to be born in Bethlehem. He's come from Bethlehem. Yeah, but this guy's a Galilean. How could he be the Christ? See? And then there's letter C here is division among the people. That's verses 43 and 44. Uh, so there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Interesting little side note here. Uh, it, uh, it's a good reminder to us in practical application. You know, this past year has been a very... Very strange, bizarre. Who would have thought, you know, this time last year that we would have seen what we saw, um, you know, and 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 some of the overt attacks on churches that happened, you know, and there's still there's still some uncomfortable, you know. Thankfully, the Supreme Court finally settled that. But I was listening to, to John MacArthur. He's now back in the, in the pulpit, and 
and uh, after a couple of weeks off there, and he was reflecting on the past year, and he was talking about how God, through it all, has protected him at Grace Church. And, and sorry, world, we're still here, right? We're still here. You may want to get rid of us. You may want to kick us to the curb. You may want to throw us in your prison camps or, you know, uh, the body they may kill, right? But God's truth abides still. Uh, until God is ready for us, you know, to 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 go meet him, uh, we will be faithful. We will be here and we will be protected. And the same thing is, is true with the Lord. John makes a point of, of, of saying that on several occasions. We're going to see that here in the, in the next part, the reactions from the authorities. They go to arrest him, and they come back empty-handed. They, they send the chief priests now, the ones who have the ability to take, to, to uh, order the temple police, the security guards, if you will, for the temple, to go and arrest him. And they do that, and security guards come back and say, without him, right? Okay, well, we'll look at that here in a minute. There's a human reason for that, but there's a sovereign reason, right, as well. And God, and God is God the Father. Whatever this this year or the years ahead hold for us, we don't have to be afraid of that. You know, until the Lord is done with us, we're going to be here and we'll be a witness. Okay. As a church and individuals. As churches, as families, as individuals. Uh, yes. Yes. All right. Then let's move on to uh, point two. Again, I, I apologize for moving so fast here, but I, I just want to set the frame and keep us moving. Okay. Reactions from the authorities. So let's let's have somebody, I've been doing a lot of talking here, let's have somebody read 45 through 52. I got a New Living Translation. Okay. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? We have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers of the Pharisees who believe in him? <laughs> this foolish crowd followed him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? He asked. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. <laughs> They're about to eat some crow. Um, thank you. I like that. That was good. Good reading, good translation there. Okay. Um, on your outline here again. So that's point number two, right? Um, letter A. The prose, he's unlike any other teacher, right? So this would be verses uh, 45 and 46. Uh, you might also just glance over to verse 32, um, that the the, uh, the the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him, okay? So, again, the camera's switching around quite a bit, right? John is John is trying to weave together for us in, in sort of a, because you can only write linear, right? But these events are all kind of happening at the same time and in parallel with one another. And there's a lot of activity going on. John is trying to encapsulate all of that into one chapter here. And so uh, what happens here next is it we see the results of verse 32 here, right? 
So in verse 32, the Pharisees um, heard them muttering, the crowd muttering these things. In other words, if you look up the verse right before that, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man, right? And people are excited. Maybe, maybe this is the Christ. Maybe this is the prophet. Maybe, you know, right? And the Pharisees hear this. Now watch this. This is interesting because I think to the best of my recollection, I think this is the first time that these two groups are mentioned together in harmony in John's gospel, okay? The Pharisees and the chief priests now, where the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. All right, so the Pharisees hear these positive <clears throat> responses from the crowd. And now all of a sudden the chief priests show up in coordination with the Pharisees to send this security force to go arrest Jesus. Well, this gets back to what I was saying earlier to you. Listen now, it's important. The Pharisees are <clears throat> a, effectively a religious club. Okay? <clears throat> This is important because in John 9, you're going to see them flex their muscle. But here, you see the chief priests flexing their muscle, okay? Where the Pharisees have their control of influence is over the religious observances of the nation, for the most part. The chief priests, which, by the way, most of them are not, a known, a known, not in John's gospel, but in the other Gospels, as Sadducees. Okay? As a, as a kid, you know, you hear these terms, and you're like, eh, what is that? You know, We had a little fun song we sang about the Pharisees not being fair and the Sadducees being sad and all that. Okay, well, what are these groups? Well, the chief priests, most of them, not all, but most of them are Sadducees as well. So those two groups, one is sort of the religious power of the nation. The other is the political power of the nation. It's very important you understand that because we're going to see from here on the chief priests playing a more and more prominent role in the national rejection of Jesus. The one with the red, the Pharisees, right. Religious. Right. Religious. right. And so you're going to see, for example, you're going to see in chapter 9 that it's the Pharisees <clears throat> that kick the man out who was born blind from the synagogue. Chief priests don't have that ability. Sadducees don't have that ability, but the Pharisees did have that ability to do that. Okay. So why are the chief priests involved with this? Well, because, again, like I said, they were the ones who had the legitimate authority to tell this temple guard, that's they are a security force for the temple, right, to go and arrest Jesus. Because Jesus is on, and it, pretty much any time... He seems to come to Jerusalem. It's like he's like it's like a rubber band. He just keeps being drawn back to the temple. He spends most of his time coming back to the temple, teaching the people. He does do other things in that area. He 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 will. We'll see in subsequent chapters here that that when things get too hot in Jerusalem, he's he's close by in places like Bethany and Bethphage, which are very close by, two miles away. But generally speaking, when he's in Judea, especially for the feasts, boom, he's in Jerusalem. And when he's in Jerusalem, he's at the temple. And so here, he's teaching the people, right? And the temple guard is given an order by their bosses to go and arrest him. That's verse 32. Now we see the results of that 
here in, in these verses. And this is uh, 45 and 46, right? The, fair, the officers, that security force, then came back to the chief priests and the Pharisees. By the way, these two groups didn't usually <coughs> get along. Okay? There's a third group called the Herodians, which um, I've been studying. I think we'll see them show up in Mark. They don't show up. I think there's one place where actual Greeks, I think they're actual Greeks. I don't think they're, they're, they're Jews. But anyway, the Herodians are also, uh, the, those groups don't generally get along, but they all get along when it comes to their opposition against Jesus, which is interesting. That's the only common cause they have. That's right. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, at least until the enemy is taken care of, and then we're back to fighting each other. <laughs> okay. So, so point is, officers come back to both these groups, and then they say to them, why did you not bring him? Right? You can understand that. I mean, you get, we all have bosses at work. Right? I mean, these are just regular working security guys, right? I mean, that's their job. That's what they do. They're not, you know, high and mighty, you know, uh, scholars, and they're not the, not the ones with the uh, doctorates in theology and all of that. They're, these are just security force. They come back to their bosses, and, and the bosses say, I told you to go get this guy. Where is he? So where's what's the response then? We've heard nobody speak like him before. Notice it's plural. The officers, all of them, are amazed at this man. No one has ever taught like him before. <laughs> Can you imagine the, the chief priests and the Pharisees who pride themselves? And, and by the way, Nicodemus shows up here in a little bit, right? Jesus called him the teacher of Israel. You're the teacher of Israel, right? In chapter 3, and you don't know these things. <clears throat> they prided themselves on being uh, uh, captivating to their audiences. Okay? And yet, here's part of the, the sheep that they're supposed to be leading as the shepherds in Israel. We'll see that in chapter 10. Okay? Um, more enamored with this guy, just like the rest of the crowd. How do you think they're feeling? Well, I think the rest of the text tells you, right? I mean, but you, you don't have to read the rest of the text. You just put yourself in their shoes for a little bit, understand their position, their place, their authority. They're the ones holding the religious and political reins. And yet here comes this man who is getting a lot of attention and our own security force, we don't have control over the Romans who are in Fort Antonia, just literally within eye shot right there overlooking the temple. We can't tell them what to do because that's in the pilot's control. But we have this security force here. We tell them to arrest this man. He, they come back empty-handed, shocked in awe of this guy and say, we were so enamored with what this man's teaching, the way he's teaching, we just like totally forgot this command, right? You know, it's like, what would you think? You're the boss now. What would you think? I'd say that they thought that the arresting him was so inconsistent with what he had to say. That it was, it was incom incomprehensible to think about doing that. Yeah. 
They probably saw a big difference between him and the, and the Sadducees and the tribes. There's something about him yeah. that just wants to repel any kind of punishment, right? I mean, this man, it's almost like Pilate. I mean, how did Pilate kind of know, this is an innocent man, I'm going to wash my hands. It was something about Jesus that just screamed innocence. He said himself, and what done on John's gospel, but he said, which of you convicts me of sin? You guys want to, you hate me? You want to, you want to, we're going to talk about that in the next chapter. <clears throat> he's going to point out how they are, as the light of the world, he's going to turn the light on uh, uh, how they are lawbreakers. And, and, and the chief example he holds out is, is Moses said, do not murder, yet here you are, you want to kill me. You think they had so much respect for him because well, number one, the way he talked, but also his his demeanor. See, he didn't have a rebellious demeanor. The only time we ever know in, in Scripture that he got tore up was in the, in the uh, temple of the money changers. Right? I mean, is there anything else that we know of that he really got tore up about? No, not, not in the, not in the, well, the thing they come in. What I'm saying is, yeah. but what I'm saying is, is, is that's what people look at a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And so here he is, he's made a scene. And he's teaching like no other body, like like he's just like super super educated, you know, like having to get all this, this this knowledge, but he has such a demeanor to him, he's just calm, collected, and I think that was kind of like even when they accused him, even all the way up to to the to the cross, he never he he just stated what was on his mind, but he never. Of course, we have the same nature. We want to rebel. He stamping on my toes. He never did that. He was just. Stated his point, stated what he, what he wanted to say. Um, I think that really got that eyebrow up too. Like, okay, who else really we're saying these things about him? And, but he's, he just didn't. Well, they didn't seem to be too sorry, to feel sorry for him when he was suffering on the cross. No. But the words had a real impact. I mean, is that, am I seeing wrong there too? Is that, is that, am I seeing wrong? Is that, 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 that a good I, I think, but like I said, I think he just had a good demeanor to him. That they were wondering why we, I don't think they really rebuked him yet, but I'm saying that they're, they're questioning. And most people, if, if they if they felt the stones are stepping on them, we have a tendency to step up and try to, you know, and, and try to. No, you're not. And they, they try to, you know what I'm saying? They try to, uh, um, you know, Pick up on themselves, or I'm saying, make a stand for themselves. I might be totally wrong. here. Yeah, well, they um, they they feel threatened by Jesus. Okay, they most certainly do. And and his rising popularity is um, a real problem for them. But for the officers who go to arrest him, you know, again, a security force. They're like, uh, well, this guy got some authority here, right? <clears throat> I think what we have to do here is com compare. You know, this is a great example of where Scripture <clears throat> helps you understand Scripture, because when we look at at other places where Jesus, what people are, even in this chapter, right here, earlier, the chief priests were amazed. Well, not chief priests, but the Pharisees are amazed. How does this man know these things, not having learned, not been to our seminary, effectively, right? And so uh, we also know from, from like, for example, um, the end of uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, right there at the end of Matthew 7, the crowd, the people after Jesus' 
done teaching for two chapters, three chapters, I guess, five, six, and seven, um, the Sermon on the Mount. They're amazed because he taught as one, what? Having authority and not like what they were used to with the chief, chief priests, keep saying that, but the, with, their, with their rabbis, the other rabbis were, <clears throat> would quote one another all the time, right? And they would throw off to some other authority. And, and, to, and even today, that's true of, of uh, Jewish teaching that, that, they, that they spend a lot of time in the Mishnah and the Talmud, which are, Mishnah is a commentary on the Old Testament, comes from, I think it's from the Babylonian period. And then the Talmud, if I'm getting this straight now, is a commentary on the commentary, right? You know, it's like, why don't you just go back to the text? You know, we have this, we teach from this, and it is, it's not, I'm not knocking commentaries, it's certainly very important, very, very helpful, but don't, um, you know, there's no substitute for your own meditation, the Word of God, and the Spirit will teach you, right? Spend time in the Word, um, you know, I can be wrong, just Paul complimented the, the Berean believers, you know, even, how dare you check the great Apostle Paul? No. You know, he says they were more noble-minded to search the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. They checked out what Paul said against the scriptures. We need to do the same thing. I think that's what's going on here, is that that this that Jesus is teaching, he's teaching as one who has authority. And and it's not spiteful and mean. You know, that was their job is to to make sure that that Rome doesn't have to come down off of Fort Antonia to, to invade the temple because there's a riot going on, right? So the security force was there. Jesus isn't doing any of that, but he is teaching with authority, and it really grabs their attention. Uh, okay, well, how did the leaders respond to this? Look at verse 47 and 48. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? <laughs> Wait a minute, now... now who also has been deceived. Right, right? So remember, cast your eye back to verse 32 again. Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about Jesus. The Pharisees are worried because they're losing their grip on the common people. See? They're, they're, they're not, they don't have the big sway uh, religiously that they had at one time, and people are beginning to despite what the leaders are saying, are beginning to believe that Jesus is, in fact, something more different than what the leaders are saying, right? And so the leaders are taking this security force, and they're lumping them in with this crowd, okay? And you'll see that borne out in the rest of the verse. Look at verse 48. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Okay. Are you deceived also? Are you guys following this this mask? <clears throat> can, can I can I say that when you're in authority uh, and you feel like you're you're beginning to lose your place to somebody who who is a threat to that power base, one of the tactics is to make anybody who agrees with that threat seem like. You're you're just you're following the fringe and you're and you're you're deviating off of the right true way because the right true way is, is defined by leadership like us, right? We're the ones who are who are here to tell you 
because you're too stupid to think for yourself. We're here to tell you how to think and how to and how to approach these things. And it, you don't want to be like that extreme as other, you know, black boys over there, right? You don't want to, you know, go off in the other direction there. I just, I just wanted to add to what you're saying. I happen to notice, but I never noticed before in my own morning Bible study, is uh, the Pharisees eventually wanted to listen because they, they were envious of the woman. So um, you can see here that uh, maybe they were envious of him because he was speaking as one who had authority and was usurping their authority over the people. They were following him rather than them. That's right. Right. They're very worried about the positive feelings or direction that people were going in, even even their own security force. Right. Even though we said just a second ago, just as a fine distinction here, the Pharisees don't have direct com command over the security force. They have to bring the chief priests in. If you look back at verse 32, you'll see that mm -hmm. in, the, in this verse as well. That's the chief priests and the Pharisees working together to get the security force. But the truth is, and you're right, that both of those two groups felt threatened by Jesus. Okay, So the religious power center is in the Pharisees, and the political power center is in the chief priests. In the other Gospels, they're known as the Sadducees as well. Okay, So those two groups, one's political, one's religious, but they both, they both, they both tolerate each other. They don't usually work together a lot. They kind of tolerated each other. But, but here, they're both working together against Jesus because he's a threat to both both of those groups. And what's interesting is their response. I really find that to be interesting. They don't, they don't come and say, they don't offer any, this is what we call an ad hominem attack. Okay. In other words, ad hominem just simply means against the person. Okay. If, if, if you come to me with an opinion and you say, I don't know, whatever, um, Pete, your tie doesn't look too good with your outfit. Well, you just don't know fashion. You're an idiot. Tell me a day. You don't even wear a tie. Yeah, you don't wear a tie. <laughs> You're like Rick. <laughs> now, have I answered your argument? No. No. I've, I've assassinated your character, right? And usually an ad hominem attack points out the fact that you really don't have a good argument, counter argument. Okay? You have a weak mind, a weak argument, or both. And that's what's going on here. They're getting emotional about it, really. They, they, they don't have anything substantive to say. They don't have any, well, let's let's go look at the temple record. Oh, see, he's not born in Bethlehem, is he? See, here's, he's born in Nazareth. See, right? They don't, they don't have any proof. They don't have any actual arguments. What this is, is an ad hominem attack. They're taking, they're taking these security guards and they're lumping them in with the rest of the crowd. And if you're not convinced, let's read the next verse. This is verse 49. But this crowd that does not know the law is what? The first. You guys crowd. are in danger of being just like these other ignorant people that don't know the Bible, walking around here, running their mouths about what they don't understand. Have any of us? who are the experts in the law, who have our doctorates in theology and teaching your synagogues and your seminaries and copying the scriptures. Have any of us followed after him? See, right? What's the implication? You follow after the crowd, 
you're an idiot, just like they are. Right? That's what they're doing. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say that's what the Pharisees were saying. You guys, because you're ignorant, because yeah, that's what we like to do. Is someone doesn't believe what we're saying or whatever, yeah, we attack their own intelligence or whatever. Yeah. So I think that's what they were wanting to do. Yeah, these guys are ignorant, just like the rest of these people who don't know anything. That's exactly right. This is maybe a little bit more dressed up. You know, we, as adults, you get a little more sophisticated, right? You, you're a little more more subtle as an older lion. You know, when you're, when you're young and you're too obvious, you're going after prey. Okay, but as kids, you do the same thing. You're getting immediate. You know, that's an ad hominem attack. But adults do the same thing, right? And that's what's happening here. They're putting pressure on these guys to go along with it because, well, because we said so. Now, is what they say true? I think Larry's um, New Living was, was really pointed pointed that way. Not what does it say, what does it say Larry? Something like uh, verses, verse uh, 48. Not one of the single one of us have believed, right? There is a single is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in Jesus? John, his irony is about to point out an example. So everything they say here, they're going to eat crow because look at verse 50. Well, there is one. There's at least one. He's a very well-known one. He's He is Jesus again. Like I said, chapter 3. <clears throat> John 3.16, most famous verse in the Bible, right? Read the whole context of that, and, and you'll find that, that Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. Interesting. Nicodemus was like, you know, he was a headliner. He was a rock star. He, he was very much respected. Well, here's one of the authorities who does believe, okay, or who is beginning to believe anyway, Nicodemus. Who had gone to him before? What's that? That's chapter three, right? Down in Tomar. Down in Tomar. He had been. He had spent time with Jesus at night. In chapter three again. John three sixteen and seventeen, the most quoted verses in all the Bible, um, come from that conversation. And it's interesting because this is the second of three times in John's gospel that Nicodemus shows up, and I think Nicodemus is John's one of John's illustrations of what he begins his gospel with when he says that he came into his own and his own received him not right so the nation as a nation rejected him but then he goes on to say but as many as did receive him to them he gave the right to be called sons of god right so what john is doing is he's showing that that yes on the whole the chief priests and the pharisees the political and religious center of the nation is rejecting him but there are people even in those in those groups who are accepting him. And that's that's important because we tend to lump everybody in one, you know, well, all Democrats are all Republicans. Don't do that. Okay. Life is more complicated than that. Okay. And and so there are people who are receiving, and Nicodemus is the foremost. We're going to see in at the end of chapter eleven, after the raising of Lazarus, that there are many more. And in chapter 12 as well, it says the same thing. There were many priests who believe in him, and yet for fear of the Jews, they were afraid to come out and say so. Right? But Nicodemus is sort of exhibit A of the exception, that even among the rulers, there are some who are believing. Okay, So Nicodemus 
who had gone uh, to him before and who was one of them. All right, John, make sure that we understand and we can remember. Said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? What in the world is that kind of response is that? Nicodemus is simply saying, guys, you need to play fair. You need to be intellectually honest. You need to follow the facts where they lead, even if you don't like the direction that they're going. Right? That's what he's saying. Is 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 we need to do our homework. We need to sit down, we need to evaluate this with this man's origins. We need to we take a look at his teaching. He's getting a lot of attention. And he's Nicodemus himself had already said back in chapter three, when he first came to Jesus, what's the first thing Nicodemus said to him? Yeah. We he didn't say I, he says we. The leaders knew he was from God. Because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, right? That's the beginning of chapter three. Go read it. So they knew he was from God. And Nicodemus is simply saying, look, when he says the law there, um, there's not really a direct reference in the Mosaic law to what he spells out here. So what we have to say to assume is it's not within their practices. You know, with, you know, the Senate, for example, the Senate has rules, right? You hear about that in the media, you know, the senator violated the Senate's rules, blah, blah, blah. Well, you're not finding that codified in, you know, a formal law, you know, an act of Congress passed by both houses signed by the president. It's not that kind of law, but there are other kinds of laws, procedural policies that within the scope of the body of the Senate that they practice, right? And they've sort of written rules for themselves and that type of thing. And it's the same, it seems to be the same thing what he's doing here. Although that would be certainly, certainly in keeping with the Mosaic law, which said, let every fact be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses, right? So with, within a trial context, they had to take the, the bare bones principles that were coming from the Mosaic law and fill that out and apply it to their situation then. What he's saying here is, and he's a member of this group of 70 elders, right, called the Sanhedrin. And that group would be the ones who would formally hear a case like this, that was at this level of importance. They would hear every little detail, right? But, but it has risen to the point where the whole nation, remember he's, you're two and a half years into Jesus' ministry. He's got six more months to go before his crucifixion. So after two and a half years of, of, of this teaching with authority and healing every disease under the sun, including two raisins from the dead, okay? There's one more to come, which is really gonna rattle their cage, okay? After all of this, we, our own process, our own agreed process says we need to hear this man out. We need to lay out the facts and be intellectually honest. Nicodemus is a smart guy, okay? A very smart man. And he's beginning, I think, himself, like, like you say, Dad, I think what we do is we get a little insight here to the fact that Nicodemus recognizes, you know, if I do my homework, I think he did. I think he did his own homework. And he eventually came to the conclusion, ooh, hey, all the facts recorded about this, because remember, eight days after his birth, after Jesus' birth, 
his parents come. Luke, rest of Luke 2, you know, we read the Christmas story, right? We'll keep reading because they come to the temple eight days later, perform what is required by the law. That is his circumcision. They would also name the baby at that point. As they go to the temple, what are they doing in the temple? They are recording in the temple records where he was born. That's what they're doing. Okay? The records are there. You look it up. I think that's one among the many illustrations in the Gospels that help us to see the power of unbelief because you have the signs that Jesus performed, which are very convincing. I mean, no man can do that apart from the fact that God was with him. And yet you have the hardness of their hearts, even to the point of planning to kill Lazarus, re-kill him, because he was a, a witness that destroyed their, their position. And uh, it's just amazing to me, the gospel is so logical and it's so clear, and yet you can tell it to people and people just refuse to listen to it and even oppose it. And it's just, it, it's just scary, really, in a way. What is the scripture saying that, uh, that, 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 what is it, the, um, in, in Paul says in First Corinthians, I remember, don't remember exactly the, the passage now, but he says that the natural man does not, cannot receive, will not receive the things of the, of the Spirit of God. They cannot, it's foolishness to them. They cannot embrace it. And uh, it's just, I have family that I pray for because the Lord is the only one to open their heart. It's really, really serious. This also points out that the gospel is not a matter of intelligence somewhere. No. You know, you've heard me say, you know, I've worked for, for years with, with very, very highly intelligent, highly educated people. And and they're not, you would think that an organization like NOAA, that they would, that they would uh, you know, follow the facts and be objective. In fact, many times they're not. They're, sometimes are, 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 many times are, even though they may privately disagree with general stand, they'll go along with it because your career's on the line. Okay? And that's true for Nicodemus. Kudos to him for standing up here. That's hard. That's hard to do. He was a witness here for the facts. Well, that's what we have to do about our faith, too. See, if you can't go to crown. If right. you say something that's going to be a scripture, you need to make a stand. We lose friends or we lose anything. It's 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 short term. It's short term. And it's sometimes it is hard because you may have something on the line that like you said, your job or something like that. Try to keep yourself in a situation or position that you want to get that approach. Stay away from the people that talk the dirty talk and talk this and beat this. Amen. Try to try to that's why you know, buddy Steve's gone and it's it's been a loss, you know, my 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 fellowship at work, you know, it, it, it means a big difference to have fellow believers by your side. That's right. But you have to stand firm. You have to, and when we don't, the first thing we need to do is ask for forgiveness. Because all we do is, is yes, sir. It, it, our credibility is nothing. But when we mess with his credibility, <laughs> what we do. So. It doesn't mean we have to go out of our way with mean, spiteful, hateful, right. uh, well, through you, I'm going to get, you know, no. Nicodemus is respectful, but he's, he's, he's right. He's right. Last verse there, 52. Are you from Galilee also? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is on our notes here, and you can take your time 
your own time to do that. They eat crow again because not only are they wrong about none of the their own leaders not following after him. Nicodemus is one example. But secondly, here they eat crow because there are there is at least one, possibly two, Old Testament prophets that are in fact from Galilee. And these, these are the guys that are supposed to know their own law, their the scriptures. They they just got through ragging on the crowd because it's ignorant crowds and they know the scriptures. And then they then this flies out of their mouths, which show that they don't know their scriptures. Okay. And I put that on your on your notes there, Jonah, Second uh, Kings uh, 4, 14.25 is a town in in uh, is from a town in this in the area of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so he's from that area. Nahum also um, <clears throat> is called in Nahum 1.1 an Iklashite. Uh, location is debated. We're not exactly sure though. It's probably most of the scholars believe that it is in Galilee, the Galilean region. Remember, Galilee is a region. It's like a county. It's not a city. It's a county. It's an area. Okay. And, and uh, it's unclear whether uh, this was his hometown or his base of operations. Either way, his ministry and life centered around Galilee mayhem as well. Now, I thought this was interesting. You know, the Capernaum, we always hear about Capernaum, mm -hmm. means town of mayhem. Okay. So that is also, in fact, that was sort of Jesus' center of gravity. We saw this recently, right? Uh, Capernaum was his sort of center of gravity for most of his ministry up in the Galilean area. Jesus um, preached and, and, and worked out of that town of Capernaum, the town of Nahum. Okay, all that's to say is, uh, like Paul says, like God be true, every man a liar, right? No matter how many PhDs you have after your name, if you be humble for the Lord, he'll make a fool out of you. Okay? It's not about proud. So you know there's, usually there's strength in proud. People follow. You know. That's right. Wherever the wind blows. Yes, it was. Well, also, too, um, one thing that caught me about your website when reading it today and, and what Nicodemus also was doing, which is very important to God through, throughout the whole scriptures, he was practicing obedience to the law. And obedience is um, very important, like he was saying, um, you know, you need to be. Obedient to who you are supposed to be, even though that's going against the people at work or, or whatever. And, 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 we're, and we're supposed to separate, you know, separate, be an influence, but you know, not melt in with, with uh, the culture. That's right. And they will respect you. People will respect you. <coughs> we have to have that respect. If they, once they know where you stand with the Lord, I've seen guys that I work with, I work in a plant, and I've seen them curb their language around me. You know, and oh, I'm sorry. I don't do you ain't gotta be sorry to me. Okay, I appreciate you not using that kind of language, but I'm not the one you have to ask forgiveness for. Yeah. And they kind of look at me like that. But I've seen it and I've seen it with other people there, you know, that, that are believers that they but they act people act different. They 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 want to be a little bit, and you know what? That's good because they know we are different. When we have that difference, then who do they come to? Sometimes they'll come to you and say, "Hey, yeah, I got you know, what in prayer." She's right. We have to make. We have to be different. That's right. That's right. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Is that right? You know, don't don't be openly hostile and rebellious to the 
ungodly authority at work or in the government, whatever. At the same time, we do need to stand for the truth. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, your, your word says the gospel is offensive enough. We don't have to add to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Forgive us for those times when, when our emotions run ahead of us. We grieve your Holy Spirit by talking out of turn and getting into counter ad hominem attacks or yelling at people in the same way they yell at us or whatever. Help us to have your peace, especially in this day and age, which seems to be increasingly uh, anti scriptures and anti-christ and, and um, there's a lot of I, I can't help but think this past year of those old testament uh illustrations um and even in the new testament as well of shaking shaking is a sign of your judgment and you have taken your church from the west really around the world and you've shaken it and um, there's a lot of people waffling back and forth and not sure where they stand um, help us not to be like that but to be founded on the rock, to, to embrace your word and to accept and believe it and to take uh, what you say at face value. Because that is really the gospel. The gospel is not a magic prayer. The gospel is not even um, believing the right facts. The gospel is a person, Jesus Christ. And we want to, we want to take you and believe you and believe what you say and trust your word, regardless of what it looks like in our personal lives or what it may mean for our future, or what we think it means for our, our future here, or whatever the consequences are. Thank you for the example of Nicodemus. And he's a good example uh, to us here. And I pray that we ourselves might, might learn from this. And uh, bless the rest of the service. We pray in Jesus' name.